Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. Today's episode is a heavy one, so please consider yourself and how you're feeling before tuning in. In this episode, I chat to Nikki Coltart, a mother who lost her twin baby girls. Nikki wishes for her girls, Nayara and Nabella, to be honoured and remembered for the little lives that they had and for the acknowledgement of mothers who have lost. Nikki shares her excitement finding out she was having twins and preparing herself to give birth when suddenly she went into labour at 27 plus 6 weeks. The next few months that followed were her hardest and darkest days, eventually losing both of her baby girls. Nikki sheds light on the complexity of grief and the uncertainty in her life, but also ways she is slowly healing and her hopes for the future. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and what's going on in your life right now. Awesome. So yeah, my name's Nikki and I moved to Bali when I was 18. And I think the whole story of being in Bali is so massive to the whole story of everything that's happened in my experience. Um, so as I was saying before, I moved to Bali, um, firstly it was just a little holiday and then when I got here I ended up meeting my husband and ended up sticking around and it's been six years now and I just absolutely love life here. I work online as a virtual assistant and web designer and I also do um, Reiki and sound healing and women's circles and that kind of thing. So. Oh wow. Yeah, that's like my soul stuff I absolutely love holding space and um, yeah so that's a little bit about me mm-hmm. and then so you'd been in Bali for six years you've been with your now hubby for about that time where did you plan on starting a family or was this something that just sort of happened yeah so we've always I think from day one we've always discussed that we want children And it wasn't until, so we've been married, I think three years now, and we decided at the beginning of 2021 in January that, okay, we'll try. But we weren't gonna try in the sense of like, really, really try, but it was like, we weren't not gonna try. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) And just see how it goes, you know? So I ended up getting pregnant in mid-May. So it took us about four months, which was really, really quick, to be honest. Um, but it's funny during that whole experience of trying how long it feels because like you have to wait between you know ovulation having your period or if the period comes or not etc etc so it felt quite long that after I think three months we were like 
oh well let, let's just not really try anymore we're, we're happy our life just us right now so and then that's when we got pregnant which I think is how it happens for a lot of people once it you, does isn't it it's funny <laughs> yeah. once mm. you take away the trying it happens yeah so so how'd you feel falling pregnant amazing I went to bed and I had a dream that I had a positive pregnancy test and I woke up at three in the morning and I needed to pee so I thought well I'll do it now so I put the little stick in the pee and walked away for a minute and then went back and saw that it was two lines and I think when you've only ever tested and had one line and now you see two it's like your whole life flushes before your eyes yeah <laughs> and I went into the room and switched on the light and Imin kind of woke up like looking around and all I could do was like two I was like giving him a peace sign because it was like two lines I couldn't speak <laughs> wow. he was like are you pregnant and I'm like yeah and we're just like wow and it was like a very much wow, whoa. Mm. Wow, but whoa. Even though it's something we wanted, it's like, wow, this changes everything. It does, yeah. You know, and it just was like, wow, this is amazing. And so we thought, okay, let's go to sleep. And we were just laying in bed, like looking at the ceiling and we were like, are you awake? Yeah, I'm awake. <laughs> it was like one of those kind of nights, but it was mm. amazing, so happy. So tell me about your pregnancy then and when you found out you were having twins and how that all happened and how you felt. Yeah, so I went for my first scan at seven weeks and with the um, early scans, they do an internal USG. Which oh, that's just like routine over there? Yeah, and oh. this is something I never expected. So when yeah. I got there and they were like, oh, you have to take your pants off, I was like, oh okay what's happening here you know mm -hmm. um, but it's an internal one and as soon as he put it inside he said it's twins that was the first thing out of his mouth and I thought he was joking I was like no really no you're joking I could not believe him <laughs> the first thing it was so instant and it was just amazing and you could see them both there these little like sacks both of them and it was it was like shocking but amazing because I've actually always wanted twins. I've said ever since I was a young girl I would love to have twins because I've always wanted two kids so two in one you know. Mm -hmm. So I was ecstatic I was so happy I think Imin was really happy too but also super shocked like he was just like kind of staring at the screen <laughs> but it was amazing and and I actually had the best pregnancy ever I had no major issues like the first trimester I was just very tired so I spent a lot of time just laying down and took me a while to be able to do do anything really mm -hmm. um, a little bit of nausea but not enough that it was like debilitating thankfully and yeah really the whole pregnancy was really really great it was more so near I guess from the 20 week mark that I was basically already third trimester vibes like I was really like had a lot of pelvic griddle pain mm. and I remember at some point I would wake up in the morning and just putting one foot in front of the other would just hurt so much um, just from the extra weight and everything of carrying twins it's like everyone already thought I was at the end of my third trimester in like my 20 my whole 
20 to 28 weeks, you know? Wow. So it was really, really massive, but it was yeah. amazing. I loved it. I find it so incredible that you can grow multiple babies. I know. It blows my mind. It does. <laughs> like, I mean, I just one baby completely blows your mind. Yeah. But, yeah, having multiple, it's pretty incredible. And I always wonder what sort of toll that physically takes on a person because you are one person <laughs> growing <laughs> two people. I wanted to ask, were they identical? Yes, they were. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. So we're going to head into the really profound part of your story. Um, Like I said, tell me as much or as little as you like. If you need to stop, stop. There's no pressure. Thank you. So you birthed your beautiful babies at 28 weeks or you went into labor at 28 Uh weeks. Can you tell me what happened? Yes. Yes. So that week leading up to it, um, I remember going for my midwife appointment and I just want to mention I had like the most amazing care my whole pregnancy here, like unbelievably amazing. I was with um, Bumi Sahat, which is a natural birthing clinic in Ubud and they are just the most amazing, amazing place to go to. And Ibu Robin is one of the founders. She's one of the midwives and she was my midwife throughout. And her assistant was my doula. And any any issues I had, they would instantly say, come to the clinic, we'll help you out. And I got free acupuncture there every week which was so, so helpful for like the pelvic griddle pain Mm. and to like, we were really working on lifting the babies up because they were always very low. And so, yeah, they were just amazing, amazing to me. And I'm so glad I had a doula, even though I didn't get the full experience of a doula. I'm so glad she was there, which Mm -hmm. I'll touch more on a bit later. But yeah, so that week I had my midwife appointment and I was getting period-like pains which was similar to what I had back in the first trimester, which was like a growing pain. It was kind of like a period pain at the top of my thighs, kind of like around the groin. And I asked them, is this Braxton Hicks or is it um, just a growing pain? And from what I understood, a Braxton Hicks was more of a contraction of the stomach, right? So I wasn't feeling a pain there. It was more down the groin so I just put it to growing pains but looking back that was most definitely probably Braxton Hicks because when my labor started it started with that feeling Mm. so so yeah there was so that week I was already feeling things but I didn't think anything of it Um, and then two days before that's where I felt really strange like I just felt extremely full and my belly looked really, really big, just as if I'd had a growth spurt. And it felt like my body hadn't caught up, like they'd had a growth spurt and I hadn't quite caught up yet. Mm. And my belly was really big. I was feeling very uncomfortable, like even laying down wasn't working for me anymore. And that was like the one position that was comfortable for me the whole pregnancy. And even then I was like those two nights trying to sleep, it was so uncomfortable. and I didn't feel like eating anything because I just felt full and I suppose this is all symptoms of like coming ready to birth I guess but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known that because I never experienced it before so we were actually um, 
staying down in Chenggu because I had just gone to my friend's blessing way and mine was organized for the next week so I missed out on that <laughs> but um, yeah I went I went down there and the day I drove back I was 27 weeks plus six so on the Friday I would have turned 28 weeks but it was Thursday that I gave birth so I drove back home and then when I was at home I was just resting had some food I was very tired and my husband had just got back because he took the bike and I took the car so the way everything happened like thank God my waters didn't break at any other point than when they did because we were home we were safe you know and he was there and I was just about to fall asleep and then I felt this pop and then all the water gushing out it was like a waterfall Oh, it wow. was insane like every every bit of water that was in there just came gushing out and I remember just saying oh no and then I was like frozen and then my husband woke up from his nap like what's happening what's happening and I was just like all I could do was like kind of whimper cry I just couldn't speak because I knew it wasn't meant to happen yet and so he was trying to fumble with his phone to call my doula and call my midwife and you know the phone doesn't want to work at the time you actually need it does it so he was like getting frustrated and I was crying <laughs> and um, the water really really went on for quite a while there was so much that wow. it actually created a puddle of, under the bed under me and it also went all over the floor to like the other side of the room there was so much and um, my doula answered and she sent the Bumi Sihat ambulance to come and pick us up and so that was probably about perhaps like 40 minutes 45 minutes before the ambulance came and during that time I called one of my friends and asked her to come round um, to help clean up because we'll be back tonight with the babies so oh. I'll have to have the bed clean you know that's how I was thinking yeah yeah so you weren't necessarily too stressed at that point well I was but I think it was just so new to me and unknown mm. and also to mention I was told that twins can come early yes and I had this feeling within me that they would come in January so that's about a month because they were due in February and so I was expecting them to come early, but never this early. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, my doula had told me in advance to have my hospital bag packed in November. So we had everything ready. I had absolutely everything. All I had to do was just chuck in some underwear and a change of clothes for myself, and we were ready to go. So I'm super grateful we didn't have to rush around finding paperwork and baby clothes and all these things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, one thing I would say is even though everybody told me that twins can come early, nobody really said what that meant. Oh. So, you know, even if a baby is born a month early, they will probably need a NICU stay. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was one thing that I feel kind of naive walking into all of this, not knowing the consequences, I suppose, of a premature birth. Yeah. So... Yeah, my friend came round, and I'm so glad she was there because, you know, I've done all the hypnobirthing. I did all the... Like, I always wanted to have a fully natural birth, but as soon as I knew I was having twins, that did change things as my first birth. I mean, I've seen 
some beautiful stories of women free birthing twins, mm. which is just so epic. But like since it was our first babies and I wanted to give birth at the birthing clinic, but my doctor said it would be better at the hospital just in case. So by this point, I'd wrapped my head around that that was the case. But I had my doula with me to advocate for everything that I wanted as a natural mm -hmm. birth. So, so yeah, my I'd learned all this hypnobirthing techniques, you know, all this mindfulness and everything. But as soon as my waters broke, that all went out the window, <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot everything. And I think, especially because I was so shocked and knew it wasn't meant to happen yet, so yes. I don't even know what I was thinking. I was just in shock, really. So my friend came round and she cleaned everything for us, and my contraction started about 30 minutes after my waters broke and it started off as a mild period pain and then obviously grew in intensity and I'm just so glad she was there because she just reminded me to come to stillness to trust my body to talk to my babies and to like connect with my ancestors and breathe mm. and all the things that had just blown out my head she brought me back to that place and I'm just so grateful that I had that in that moment and so we took the ambulance to the hospital and I started tracking my contractions. And just that week I had downloaded an app to do that. So <laughs> that's crazy, but also very helpful that I had that. So my contractions were um, every two minutes, 50 seconds long. Mm. So they were quite close. Mm. And by the time I got to the hospital, they checked me and I was two centimetres already, like within within an hour and a half, I suppose. Um, and so they gave me some medicine to stop my labour and, and also an injection to support the baby's lungs because the idea was to keep me on bed rest pretty much um, you know there's been other people who have all their waters have come out but they've been able to stay like an extra week or two with the babies inside which would make a huge difference you know so unfortunately my labor was progressing too fast that that medicine wasn't working so once my doctor arrived he did the ultrasounds and everything and that was such a nerve-wracking time because just before my doctor came one of the nurses at the hospital was you know with the Doppler doing all the things and I wasn't hearing anything so I was kind of ignoring the fact that that was what was happening um, and then the doctor came and he did all the checks and everything and they don't put the sound on for the the heartbeat I guess because for whatever they find they don't want to share it with you but but then you're also in distress because like what's happening you know so they said that we need to do um, emergency cesarean right now so I was like okay and it wasn't till later that I found out that the baby's heart rates were in distress um, so we just had to do it there was no keeping them in so Imin had already gone off to do all the paperwork that you have to do once you enter the hospital and I was taken for my cesarean and um, like I say thank god my doula was there because she was able to really really support Imin throughout all of this mm. and he wasn't alone in all the rushing around that he had to do.
So, yeah, I was brought into the operation room and the team of ladies that come with my doctor, um, one of the ladies was just so, so amazing. She was such a great support to me. And um, in the operation room, when they turned me on my side to do the epidural, um, I had a really, really big surge. I had one last contraction and it felt, it really had that downward pressure of like my body wanting to push. And one thing that was interesting actually during this experience was again, like through all the hypnobirthing and natural birthing I've learned, it's when you have a contraction, you need to rele release and relax your whole body. But everyone, like all the nurses, everyone was saying, just hold it, hold it. Don't, don't, don't let any of that energy like push down. You don't want, you don't want that, you know. So trying to relax through a surge, while also trying to like hold everything in down there, was so hard and just mm. against everything I'd learned and so confusing. Um, but they just didn't want my body to try and push at that point. So, yeah, that Why one last. Not? If the well, babies were in distress, why not just, if they're coming fast vaginally, why not just do that? I think from what what my doula said was if my cervix isn't fully dilated, then I'm just going to cause issues with it or inflammation or something like that. And I think that's, that's all I know, really. Mm. That's all I was told. They were just like, hold it in, hold it in. And like I had that feeling like I really needed to go to the toilet. And they were like, no, you can't go, you know. So it was all a bit chaotic. And, um, yeah, when we were in the operation room, they were like, what music do you want to put on? And I just quickly typed in beautiful chorus and pressed play. And the first song that came on was, um, I forgot the name, but it, it goes like, I'm healing, I am whole, I am safe, something like that. It's like a really beautiful mantra. Mm. And as they were doing the epidural, I just started to sing along to this song. And like I said, I had that last surge and this beautiful nurse, she let me just like grab onto her whole body and just hold her tight. And she was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Like she was so kind and loving. And it was just the presence I needed in that moment because that whole experience was so traumatic and chaotic and I didn't know what's going on, but I knew it had to happen, and it was just like that. So, and then I was turned over, and I actually fell asleep, um, which was really, really hard for me to come to terms with for a while, not understanding what happened. I thought I was put under general anaesthetic, but after asking um, the nurses that were there, it was just a reaction to the medicine that wow. made me really sleepy, which is something I'd never heard of before or mm. knew that it could happen. And I had educated myself on cesareans, um, and I thought I'd educated myself on everything, but it wasn't until a few weeks after the birth I actually Googled, can they put you to sleep in an emergency cesarean? And they can. Um, if the epidural doesn't work quick enough, they will put you under general anaesthetic. So I thought that was the case with me. But after asking a few people who were there, um, it was just my own reaction to the medicine. It put me to sleep. So wow. um, 
that was really difficult because it was not what I was expecting at all. I didn't know that caesareans went like that. I thought you're awake for the whole thing, etc. So, so I remember coming around, still in the operating room, and I think they were cleaning me up because I was like, felt like I was getting rubbed around, and um, I remember saying like, "What are you doing?" And they were like, "We're just putting a wrap on you." And I was like, "Where's my baby?" And then nobody replied. <laughs> this whole part is so awful, honestly. But um, so I was taken to the recovery room. And at this point, I could feel half my body and I could lift my head. And the beds from the operation room are just completely flat. They're not like one that you can lift up. So I could just lift my head and look around the room. And I didn't see anyone I recognized. I couldn't find Imin. I didn't, couldn't see my doula. And I was like, Permissy, Permissy where's my husband, like what's happening, where's my baby, Yeah. And nobody was replying, what? nobody would tell me what had happened, <sighs> and so, and so finally Imin comes in, and he comes in with um, Safira, my doula, and I say to him, what's happened, and he's like, you need to rest, because the doctors were telling him, you can't tell her now, she needs to recover first, what? I know, it's bullshit to be honest. It is, you have every right to know what happened. Right away. Absolutely. Yeah, so he, he was called off and then he came back and I said, tell me what happened. And he was just like, you need to rest. And I said, I literally had to say the words, are they dead? I had to say that to him. And he just looked at me and then kind of looked, looked around and was like not sure what to do and just said you need to rest you need to rest <sighs> and then he left to do something and then he came back and then the third time I was like you have to tell me now my body might not be moving but my brain is fully aware and I have to know and then that's when he told me that one of them passed away and I don't have any like upset towards Imin not being able to say that to me because you know, having the doctors tell him right. not to. And also, how the hell do you share that news? Yeah. How do you say that, you know? So I, yeah, I totally understand where he's at, but I should have been told from the minute I was out, of course. Absolutely, yeah. And um, so my initial reaction, I think I was just so in shock. I was very matter of fact. I was like, okay, which one was it? Was it twin A or twin B? And he said it was twin A. And I was surprised because twin A was always just a little bit bigger, a little bit um, mm. like longer, weightier, etc. And um, and I said, okay, that's Nyara. Because I'd always felt them. Nyara was head down on my left and Nabella was head up on my right. So I always knew which one was which. And... Yes, I, I knew that's Nayara and Nabella. How's Nabella? She's in the NICU. Okay. And he's like, we need, we need to write their full names out. And we hadn't agreed on a middle name just yet. Um, but Imin decided on two beautiful middle names. So we have, um, so Nayara Azin Hamid. And uh, so Nayara means. Um, shining star and Azeen means beauty 
and then Nabella Asia Hamid. Nabella is noble and Asia is hope. Mm. And I'd had these names chosen for them, their first names anyway, from the beginning. And before I even knew they were girls, I always called them that. I just knew it was them and I knew they were girls. So they were Nayara and Nabella from the beginning. And so we chose the names. And then I was just, oh yes. And then I was like, well, I want to see her. You know, where is she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he went to go get her and he brought her over. And I remember reaching out to touch her and I made like a, a kind of whimper, like scream kind of, and as I went to reach out to her, the doctors were like, no, 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 she can't hold her. It's honestly insane, isn't it? But wait, your husband was holding her? Yeah. So why can't you? Well, this is the thing. It was just a complete shit show, to be honest. And after afterwards, I spoke to my doula about this. And she said, you know, together with the hospital policy and together with the kind of Balinese outlook of life and death, mm. that's just not something that happens, you know? Which is crazy because i that's my baby. I have every right to yes. hold this child. And I, I tell Imin, look at me, I can hold her. Like, don't listen to them. I can hold her. <sighs> and then he gave her to me and they just kind of, you know, left it. And I was able to have that moment with her and see her and kiss her. But it was really hard because I was laying flat. So I was like trying to kind of see her and look at her and hold her and it was really difficult being in that position and not being able to move all my body yet and um, I only had a very short time with her like very very short and um, the hospital were like saying to Imin you have two hours with her and then you she's got to go like that kind of vibe which is just fucking crazy go where like, like, what were they going to do? Leave the building? I don't know. What the hell? Like, it was just crazy. And it really, really pisses me off, actually, because when I see from... I've watched many, like, YouTube videos and experiences with other mamas who have lost their babies. The time they get is just so... The time, the privacy, you mm. know, all that kind of thing that they receive is much more than what I did unfortunately so so yeah we only had a little short time with her and I had a really beautiful photo taken of me and Imin with her which is the only picture I have of Imin with her so I'm just so glad we took that photo because I remember Imin was like wasn't keen to have it you know because it obviously doesn't feel very nice you know mm-hmm. um but we had the photo and I'm so glad. It was so beautiful and something I cherish. And so he had to leave with her and then I was brought to our, like the actual room we stay in for the next three days. And when I was down there, my friends had arrived and I'm so glad they were all there to support us in that time and to support him in as well. And, um, when I was down in our actual room, I said, well, can we get, can we get Nayara down here? Because, you know, before she has to go, I want more time with her. I had like yeah. just a couple minutes and that was it. 
And so um, I think Imin went off to sort that out and then he was gone for a very long time. So I said to my friend, you're, you're gonna have to go find him. And then she was gone for a really long time. And she told me that um, she ended up having to sit with Nayara up, up back in the birthing area because they wouldn't let her be moved around. So again, there was just all this kind of bullshit stuff and policies and- Was it policy or culture? I think it's a bit of both yeah. because this is something that's kind of come up a few times during our experience is like there's almost no budging the rules yeah and this is something I've experienced even like in day-to-day -day life here in Bali like if you go to a restaurant and say oh can I not have banana in my smoothie sometimes it's like no that no it has to be banana in it like we can't take it out <laughs> you know when there are ways that things can be relaxed and leaned and everything so yeah, eventually she managed to come down to the room and I was able to have more time with her and I was able to like lift up my bed so I could be in more of a sitting position and see her. But it was still a rush. Like I remember looking over my shoulder and seeing the nurse just popping her head around the corner and it was kind of that energy of like, let's get going, which is just fucking insane and makes me so upset that that was the case. But yeah, I'm so glad I had another time with her. I had more time, I could kiss her, I could see her, I could speak to her, sing to her. And um, she was already dressed because um, my doula picked out some clothes for her and they dressed her up in clothes and wrapped her in a blanket. Um, but I wish I'd been able to have the time to like take off her clothes and see what she looked yes. like and like hold her hands and see her toes you know all these things but in the moment I just didn't think of that and so um, so in the end she had to go and she was brought to the mosque because we're Muslim so we bury the next day so my wow. thankfully my friends were able to do all of that and she wasn't put into strangers care mm -hmm. and I'm just so grateful that they were there and my beautiful friend slept next to her body all night at the mosque and sent me pictures and videos and and when they when she was brought to the mosque she has to be richly prepared through washing and everything so they facetimed me and also were recording it on another phone so i was able to be there as it was happening and also i have video to re-watch and i'm so grateful i have that because it was so so sad not being able to be there for that Oh, I, I just find that so, just hearing you say it, I'm just like, I cannot even fathom how you would have felt having that happen and not being able to witness it yourself, being the mother. I feel that. Yeah, it's hard. And even recently, I just saw, like just last week, I think, I was looking through my pictures on WhatsApp between me and my friend because I was looking for something. And then I saw pictures and videos of Nayara that I hadn't saved. And I was re-watching it and just seeing her like in the arms of another beautiful woman, but she was like undressing her and she kissed her. And I was like, oh, I miss that opportunity, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I was recovering from an operation, so what can I do, you know? And um, also another thing was the first doctor out of the operation room 
who saw Imin. Gave him the impression that everything was fine, which is again something we've come up across with some people here is not being able to get to the point and the truth of what is going on. Yeah. Because there's like they don't want to upset. But you need to be able to, as a doctor, as a, you know, being in that industry, you have to be able to tell the raw truth straight up to the fact. And you can do that with compassion and love. Yeah. You know, and giving him the impression that everything's fine and he was like, oh, thank God everything's okay. When actually our baby had passed away and our other baby was in critical condition, it's not okay. Yeah. And and again, this this kind of, we've had some amazing, amazing doctors that we've met over this time, but we've also had some who are the same kind of fluffiness, you know, like they're fluffing it out because they don't want our reaction or whatever, I don't know which is just so not right. <sighs> and I really, really, really feel for Imin during that time, everything he had to go through, being the other side of it, not knowing what's happening, you know, not being able to grieve in that moment and being rushed off to have to go pay for the operation and to sign this paperwork and do this and do that. So again, that's why I'm so glad our doulas were there. Our friends came instantly to help and to help organize like what mosque are we going to take them to what um you know what burial plot are we going to have because Imin's family is from Sumatra so none of our none of his family is here to help with that kind of thing mm. so thankfully our friends were just so amazing and able to show up for us really beautifully and I just find it insane a little bit insane that you've just birthed your babies and that's what you have to think about, burying them. I just, I just, I have no words. Like, I don't even know how. And isn't it funny that we sort of, particularly as women, like, we flick the switch and we're like, okay, what needs to be done now? Yeah. And it's like, that's exactly we go into that mode. Yeah. Um, so then it's like, do you grieve later because you're in the mode of okay we've just got to get this done yes yes I think so and especially since you know it is a multiple birth my other daughter I've got her to think about now yeah you know and I I have to be in the best energy within myself because she's going to be able to feel that she's just lost her twin like they're Mm. identical they came from the same egg the same sperm that Mm -hmm. is that is so close it's the closest you can get right so she's obviously feeling this like shock of like I'm in the world what the hell's going on where's my sister Where, where's my mum what's happening you know and so yeah it was just such a crazy time yeah so that morning because everything happened looking back everything happened from from waters breaking to babies being born was just four hours Oh, wow. I know. It was so fast. And thank God it was because it meant Nabella was able to survive, you know? Yeah, yeah. But all of that to happen in four hours was insane. Like, whole life being tipped upside down. The craziness, the traumatic events, everything in four hours. And so it was, like, quite late at night Um, by the time everything had 
kind of stopped and so in the morning Imin went for the burial and in the morning he was just absolutely exhausted like he was like I can't I'm so tired like he slept on the floor and um, and I said you have to go you'll regret it if you don't and he definitely would have I'm so glad he was there he was able to lay Nayara's body into the ground and hold her and you know do all the the beautiful rituals for her and um, and yeah then he came back and that day we yeah it must have been less than I suppose less than 12 hours later I wanted to go to the NICU so I was out of bed and it obviously I don't know if you've had a cesarean before but like the pain mm. when you first stand up is intense it's like yes, so burning this. like it burns you know but I had to get up there you know I had to go up and see my daughter mm. and see what's happening and so I went up to the NICU and I had to be in a wheelchair because it was too hard to stand and walk mm. at the time and so when I went into the NICU this also wasn't the best first experience with the NICU either um, they ended up all being amazing but that first experience you know I went in to see her and they were like I went to take a picture of her they were like, no, no no you can't take any take any photos no you can't they can't go on social media and I'm like what the hell like can I just take a picture of my baby yes yeah like leave me alone you mm. know and then we're like you can't be in here with a wheelchair because it's a sanitary environment and I'm just like what the fuck like I've just gone through all of this can I just have a moment like next time I'll come without it fine but this is my first time meeting my baby yeah so that was pretty stressful and um I don't even know how I felt seeing her like I can't even remember it was just such a shock and a blur and she was so tiny bless her and she was under the blue light and had like plastic over her to keep her warm she was so tiny bless her and um do you know how much they weighed yes one kilo 30 grams wow Wow. I mean, so incredible that, yes, she was in critical condition, but that she was alive. It's pretty incredible. It's amazing. And she wasn't on a ventilator either. She was on just a CPAP, I think. Wow. Um, so the ventilator is like the most invasive, like mm -hmm. that's breathing for them fully. So she was able to breathe partly herself, which is really amazing. And so, yeah, this started our two-month NICU journey. Yes, and I I hear NICU, the experience in NICU is ambivalent. It's very, there's so many mixed emotions because you're so incredibly grateful that they're alive and that, you know, every, you're looking for every tiny little milestone. And, but then at the same time, you're grieving and particularly in your situation where you've already lost. So it's like, how do you maintain hope but also grieve? I just imagine that being so confusing and complex. It really is, yeah. And, and there's so much 
to the grief that's not just losing your baby it's like you know giving birth at 28 weeks you've mm. suddenly lost you're grieving a full pregnancy you're grieving the birth you wanted mm. you're grieving everything that you expected that would happen everything's gone in an instant and as well as grieving your baby that passed away oh, it was just such such a weird place to be in but I knew that I just had to okay now I have to focus on Nabella and my head is there and that's all I'm seeing now it's like okay how are we gonna go through this and so another journey with NICU is and with hospital stays it's not just like the emotional toll that that takes but also the financial toll Yes, and see, that's very different here in Australia. Uh, and same in England. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to ask you, um, before we touch on that, how many nurses, what was the ratio baby to nurse? So when we were in our first hospital, um, that was a private hospital. And again, this is like something I feel a bit naive going into. Being from England, we have the NHS, we have free healthcare. Yes. Um, you don't really choose hospitals. It's you just kind of go, you turn up, blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really realise the whole situation here and different hospitals and their prices, etc. So the original idea was I'm going to have a natural birth at the hospital, and if I have to have an emergency cesarean, we know the prices, and Imin's mum would be able to pay for that because I didn't have insurance. So this was our initial thought going in without thinking bigger picture what could happen if there was complications so um so because it was a private hospital it was a tiny NICU there was only space for one baby in intensive care which they call level three I think it is or level one I always forget which way around it is yes it's level three level three NICU is like intensive care 24 7 watch and there's only space for one baby. So, during our time there, we were two weeks in this hospital before we had to move her to a general hospital where we could have our insurance cover it because we were able to get her insurance because my husband's Indonesian. Mm-hmm. We were able to sort that out for her. Um, so during that two weeks, I think we were really, I mean, it was just her, 24-7 care, being looked after. There was a few babies that would come in and out of the level one Um, for like blue light therapy and stuff like that but she was like the the serious case and so it was a tiny room very very small um with just like four four beds and two to three nurses on shift and um so we were very comfortable there very well looked after I felt so you could stay not really okay but we could visit twice a day for how long the visiting hours were four hours each so we could spend as long as we wanted but yeah we couldn't stay so how do you go home and i sort of feel like that's so wrong yes i agree like i do really believe that mothers should be with their babies regardless of the circumstance, whether that be death 
or critical condition mm-hmm. i i'm i don't know i i don't understand yeah. how they can possibly separate mothers and babies like that me neither to be honest and and recently i saw this this other little baby and mama who was in the NICU and she was like asleep in the chair next to him and she could mm. just sleep there and I was like what I didn't get that like oh. you know there's a lot of layers to the pain of all of that mm. and yeah I mean leaving the hospital after being discharged that was just awful like that empty womb empty hands oh. it was awful and but thankfully, one of our friends lives very close to the hospital, so we ended up staying with her and her family for two weeks, um, so we could quickly drive to the hospital and back. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, originally in the first hospital, it was twice a day we could visit, which was really, really lovely, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, and so, yeah, that started out every day. I remember, like, walking the halls of that hospital and every day I would be able to stand up a little straighter because, like, when you've had the cesarean, you're kind of hunched over walking until you can walk like normal. And I'm so grateful my body was able to heal really, really fast. And I think this was due to, like, it had to. I had no other choice mm. but to be fully better and to be able to walk and move around. Um, so I'm really grateful my recovery was really really easy Um, so yeah with this hospital I didn't have insurance and her Indonesian insurance wouldn't be activated until 14 days later so for that two weeks we um, it was actually my friend's idea to start a GoFundMe Mm. and I'm just so incredibly grateful for all the donations and love we had from all over the world, from people I don't even know, like people left anonymous donations and and we actually were able to raise all the money for her two week stay at Bros. Wow. Because it was and it was turning out to be a thousand pounds a day. Wasn't at my hospital but another one and we got talking and she'd done a lot, a lot of research into the care here in Bali and knew that this hospital was the best one with the and that doctor who was our doctor um, had trained many of the other NICU doctors around the whole island so we had the best person the best care so we felt good about moving her and it meant at the new hospital it could be under insurance mm. so two weeks later we decided to take this big move to the new hospital and that was a real 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 big culture shock um, because, you know, this first hospital was a private hospital. It was a tiny NICU with one bed, and it's all really nice. You know, the whole place is very nice. You walk in, it's all nice, and it was very small. And now a general hospital, you know, you've got everything under the sun going on there. It seems very run down, and it's a bit, like, scary and very intense to be there. You know, you walk in, we bought her an ambulance, to the other hospital and you go in through the emergency room and you know that's always a chaotic place to be. So it was a really, really hard transition. Um, but she was in the best of hands there. It was a really massive NICU. 
so it was very very hard to get used to the level three NICU had I think about 14 babies in there mm -hmm. compared to you know we just heard before yeah and they had a lot more stricter rules which was very very hard to get our head around at first so um, with the level three because it's intensive care and they want really minimal in and out so the first time we were told that we could both go in but then the next day when we came we were told it was only mothers were allowed and which is just so unfair for the mm. dads so I went in and I was just crying my eyes out because I think you know anyone who's been in the NICU you know the beeping machines the sounds of the ventilators and everything it's very very intense and scary and you're trying to be in the best energy you can be for your baby so you can speak to them and they can hear your voice and they can feel that loving energy but it was very very hard those first few days I just couldn't stop crying and with the level 3 NICU we could only go every other day for just a short amount of time so that was really hard adjustment because we were just doing twice a day every day and now it's every other day mm. for just just a short amount of time and if there's an emergency in the room if there's anything that happens you have to get out and you can't go back in so and also eventually we found out that yes the dads can come in again there's like this conflicting information which was really frustrating um, but I it took me a while to like really understand why they do that in the level three and you know it's because it is intensive care it's, you know babies are really in critical condition in there so I get it but it was very hard mm. um, and so she spent I think it could be about a month a month in there and we would visit every other day and we'd get updates from the doctor and basically Nabella's condition this whole time she was doing really really well she was very stable um, but unfortunately she was stable in the sense that she wasn't getting better but she wasn't getting worse so right. she was just very like in the middle and in in the first hospital she was taking my milk and then then she started to have green liquid coming up her feeding tube which is a sign that you should stop feeding right away because there could be an obstruction and you could cause more damage so you wait and see and then that stopped and then she was able to have milk and then it came back a little bit and then she was able to have milk so it was kind of like that and then when she was in the new hospital this this carried on but for longer time so she was actually fasting from any milk for a really really long time like pretty much most of her life she was probably fasting so she had um, intravenous nutrition and with t such tiny preemie babies you have to take such little steps to find out what the cause is Mm -hmm. so she was having like you know ultrasounds and there was no blockage that could be seen and she was having like okay is it bacteria no we can cross that off is it a fungal no we can cross that off is it viral no we can cross that off so it took a really really long time to get to the bottom of things but generally she was doing so well she was doing so well that she was actually taken out of 
intensive care and she was moved to the lower level and because she was able to breathe by herself and she was able to she was started to take milk again and um so you're thinking like great this is amazing yeah yes yeah I did and because that that level two is kind of like the transition room Mm. you're getting ready to be moved to level one which is then where I take primary care of her where I would be staying at the hospital at that point and I'd be feeding her every three hours and etc so I was like yay it's happening you know she's doing so well and Mm. and also another thing um the first time I got to hold her was I think 48 days after her birth 48 days I think it was 48 or 40 something and was that just agonizing every single day not being to not being able to hold her yes absolutely like hearing her cry through the incubator and I couldn't even put my hand inside oh my god that feeling like within your womb that just wants to pick her up like oh it was so hard Mm. and in the first hospital, we were able to hold her hand. Um, so thankfully, Imin was able to hold her hand and touch her for the first time, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, just before she was moved out of level three, I was able to hold her for the first time. And oh, it was just amazing, like doing the skin to skin. And when they laid her on my chest and then we wrapped a sarong around to hold her there, I could feel her moving and wiggling and it reminded me of what it felt like having them both in my belly. Yes. I was just so grateful to experience that again. Mm. And and just hearing her make all these little noises and she had the longest nails. Like they were like <laughs> stiletto nails. They were so long and she was like had her hands here and she was like doing this and scratching oh. me. And I'm so grateful I finally got that. But you know, one thing that makes that so difficult is, you know, looking at other people's NICU experience in Australia, UK, the US, a 28-weeker is having chest-to-chest on day two. Yeah. Even with a CPAP, even with intravenous, even with all the things. So I know, so my my husband's Filipino and the Filipino maternity system is about 30 years behind. <laughs> <laughs> so things like skin-to-skin... It's not acknowledged. The power of it is not yeah. acknowledged. Yeah, it's all very much routine and policy and, yeah. Well, this is the thing. This is, again, where that, you know, sticking to the rules kind of thing comes in. And I totally understand yeah. that tiny preemie babies are very susceptible because they haven't mm. got strong immune systems. I understand that. But I can't help but think, what if we'd done more skin to skin? If yeah. something would be different. It's hard, isn't it? Like, yeah. because you hear stories of these really profound moments of skin mm-hmm. to skin, um, what's the word? Like increasing the baby's well-being yes. and physical state. They put on more weight, etc. Like yeah. the studies. Yes, yeah. We know so much more about skin to skin now, but yeah, it it just takes so long to get that out mainstream and on a yeah. global level. Yeah, definitely. And I think. I think the nurses at the NICU, like, they agreed with me. It's yeah. the best thing you can do. But she's on a limited touching, what, it, what do you ever call it, limited touch 
because she's got this green liquid coming up the tube, so it right. could be an infection and this and that, which I understand, but mm. like, but still, that's the best thing that they could get, you know? Yeah. And so I had that one day with her, and then she was moved to level two, and in level two, you're able to visit daily, but the men cannot go inside, it's women only for level two, which I just am heartbroken for Imin, because he didn't see her for about two weeks. Oh, wow. And I was able to get photos and videos of her. One time they did say like, oh, no photos or videos in here. But I was honestly just like, oh, F that, Stuff, I'm taking yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally, I said, this is for my husband. Like, yeah. he can't see her. And I am so glad I did that because that's all the memories I have of her now. Mm-hmm. You know, are those videos and pictures. Yeah. And um, I was able to do one more skin to skin in level two before the green liquid came back and she had an infection and she wasn't doing so well but then she got better but the green liquid stuck around and even the doctors were like I don't even know what this is like why is this happening we're doing x-rays all the time I'm not seeing any blockages um you know all these things so eventually we decided okay let's do the deep dive x-ray which is where they put the liquid down and you can see it flow through the digestive system. That's quite um, an invasive thing to do on such a small baby, but at this point we had to have answers. So that day she was taken to the actual x-ray department. So she was taken out in a travel incubator and Imin was able to see her for the first time in two weeks. And I'm so glad he had that moment because it was the next day that she passed. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, so, yeah, she was able to have, I remember seeing her, like, laying in the bed and just looking into Imin's eyes, and I'm just so grateful he had that moment with her, because he hadn't seen her in so long, and so, mm. yeah, they did the the x-ray, and in the x-ray, they could see that the liquid did stop at a certain point, so there was an issue, so... Yeah, we weren't going to get the results, like the official results, for like two days. But from what the the guy could see straight away, he could see there was something. And um, in the end, we actually never really got to the bottom of it. But what it could have been was it could have been a variety of things. The surgeon came to speak to us. It could be like that because her digestive system is so premature, it's just not contracting enough that it yeah. starts to become slow and potentially it's like closed and stuck together or maybe there is something there that's blocking it or it could be anything but one thing to mention was she was actually still pooping this whole time so that's why they didn't think it was a complete blockage so again it was just you have to take every little little step to figure out the problem and and so anyway after that she was brought back to the NICU and I was sitting with her and I thought something just looks off and I remember getting the doctor to come over and I was like does she look okay is that normal is this normal and he was like yeah yeah that's fine but I think I just had that feeling yeah yeah you have like that mother's intuition yeah and so I said okay bye lovely I'll see you tomorrow and so I went home and then that night this is the thing like you're living on edge the whole time because Mm. If your phone rings, you know there's an issue. 
Mm. No news is good news, basically, when you've yeah. got the baby in the NICU. So the phone rang at about midnight. And they were saying that Nabella's breathing has, um, like she's turned a bit blue, so we're putting her back on the CPAP. Um, she was on nothing that day before. So I was like, fuck, you know, back on it again? Like, what's wrong? And they said, if it gets worse, we're going to have to put her on the ventilator and move her back into intensive care. So we were like, oh gosh, that doesn't sound good. And we just like looked at each other like, should we go to the hospital? Yeah, we should. We should definitely. They didn't ask us to come, but we were like, we need to go. We could tell. And I remember having to go to her, her dresser and pick her out an outfit because I just knew, I just had that feeling we might need it, which I know is just so fucked up. I even had to think that, mm -hmm. that I had to choose the outfit for my baby. But I'm glad I did bring it because I did need it in the end. But anyway, we go to the hospital and it probably took us about an hour to drive. And um, when I got to the hospital, I could see, I looked through the NICU doors and I could see that all the doctors were around her and they were putting the ventilator in. And she'd never, ever had the ventilator. So things were really serious, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, this this started the whole the whole day. So the doctor came out and spoke to me, and basically she'd had she had a lot of bloating, which was making it hard for her to breathe. And I don't know if you know having that liquid and going for that X-ray was the cause, or if. if eventually whatever that blockage was had fully closed up and now it's a problem now right. it's closed she's getting bloated it's too much on her body mm -hmm. and so she was moved back to intensive care and we weren't able to go in and see her right away because they were you know all surrounding her incubator and doing all the things so they were like just go to the family room and rest um, so we slept I mean, slept as good as it gets when you're there and worried, you know. Um, and then about six in the morning, I think we still weren't able to see her for quite a while. Um, but the surgeon came to visit us because we were like, right, she has to go to surgery today. So we're going to um, check her over, do all the tests on her and make sure that she's fit for surgery. And he explained the whole thing, like this is how, how it's gonna go, this is what we're gonna do, we're gonna go and investigate where this blockage is, this is the, the potential causes it could be, this is the risks, etc., etc. We're just gonna check that she's healthy enough to do so. And so at this point it was just a sitting and waiting game, you know, the, the surgeon would come out to us quite frequently and be like asking us questions and explaining the situation. And then eventually we were able to go in and see her. And this was really hard because she, like the way the ventilator moves the chest is quite intense. Mm -hmm. So it didn't look nice, you know. Yeah. So we were able to go in and see her and they let us touch her as well. And I remember, oh no, 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 we didn't that time. No, that was the second time. Oh yeah, this time going in. I could. I was looking at her numbers on the 
the screen, like the heart rate and the blood oxygen levels, and the blood oxygen levels were dipping so low when they were so high just the day before, you know, so that was really hard. And so her eyes were open at that time, and I started to sing to her, and I could see her oxygen levels going up, and I was just so grateful, and I was singing to her and just holding space for her, there was also a part of me that knew that this was the last time I would be singing to her. Wow. And I would sing to her this song every day that I saw her. The same song. And I just had this feeling, this is the last time, isn't it? And then we left the room. And then we went back. And we were speaking with the anesthetologist. You know, the guy who does the anesthetic and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was asking us lots of questions and about the history and they said you know right now your baby's really in a very very critical position and um, what had happened I think her heart rate had gone too fast basically everything was just like her whole body was just like freaking out you know because of all these things that were going on so they gave her some medicine to slow down her heart rate and they ended up having to put her into a coma Wow So when I was speaking with the anaesthetologist, he was like, I said to to him, is she in a coma? He's like, yes, she is. And um, I don't think we're going to be able to do the operation tomorrow. She's too critical. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, can we go in and sit with her? And we were able to go in again. And this is also more indication as to, you know, things aren't looking good. The fact that they let us in and out of the intensive care so often and just yeah. looking in the room it was just crazy like before she had a drip and a vitamin intravenous that's all she had just two little things and then when I was looking at her through the window that time she had like 10 different medicines all wow. all going in to support her and all of the doctors all of people from other departments were surrounding her incubator like it was just crazy crazy to see and I just feel for her in that time you know the energy of that and and so we were able to go in and when I saw her we were able to hold her hand that time and she was such an active baby like her feet were always kicking all around the place they were always curling her toes like she was so active the whole time and then just holding her hand and it just being limp was just so so sad mm. and Imin was able to touch her I'm so grateful and we stayed for a little bit and prayed and everything and then we left the room again and my mum had arrived um, I'm so grateful because my mum came to Bali Um, back in December just after the birth she came out here to support us and um, she was actually due to go back just just a couple days after Nabella passed um, but she was able to extend her stay which I'm really grateful and that day we had actually planned to do something together and I called her and said I can't I can't come I'm gonna have to cancel plans my blessing way was also organized for that day because Mm -hmm. I missed it so I was going to have my blessing way. So she was a, she was never able to enter the NICU or ever see Nabella like up close, unfortunately. But she was able to watch from the windows and stuff. And um, 
And yeah, as I was in the waiting room with, with mum, I said to him, and I think we should go. I think we should go back. And when I went back, I could see through the doors that they were, they were resuscitating her. And the crazy thing is, just that night before, I had researched on YouTube what resuscitation on a neonatal looked like. Wow. Because I was curious as to what they'd done for Nayara. Because she wasn't born stillborn, by the way, as a little backtrack. She just came out very limp because she had the cord around her neck. So they did resuscitate her and she did come. Um, but she only lived very shortly, about 30 minutes for, wow. for Nayara. So yeah, I was researching, so I was curious, like, what did, the, what did that whole situation look like? You know, what was going on when I, when I was asleep during my operation? And so when I looked through the NICU doors and I saw the machinery they had and the movements, I knew that that's what, what was happening. And so they let us come in. And we were there for a really long time while they were resuscitating her. And they let us sit there, like they pulled up a chair and just let us sit sit there and that was really really crazy I don't even know how to explain like the feelings of that and they were resuscitating for a very long time and um, they said they have three medicines that they use to start the heart and once we've used all three that's kind of it and they used all three and carried on doing like manual resuscitation and Imin said to me, Nikki, we need to let her go. We need to like release her spirit. And um, how I just remember looking at him thinking like, really? Is this really now? Is this really it? And so I remember I stood in front of her incubator and I just put my hands on my heart and a hand on my womb and I was like, it's okay, you can go now. And like with my hands, I just kind of like directed her like, it's okay. You can go now if you have to. And then, and then they put the, the heart monitor on her. And then to really check that there was no heartbeat anymore. And, um, and then they stopped and they said, I'm so sorry. I think it's just crazy because she was doing so amazing. Yeah. And I think from the beginning, absolutely none of us thought she wasn't coming home. Wow. Like we felt it within our soul that like, she's coming home, I know it. Like there's no ifs, ands or buts, she's coming home. So it was a huge shock to us all and you know within less than 24 hours her condition just changed and I think you know her body had just put up with so much over these two months you know constantly getting prodded and poked by needles yeah. every day you know everything and eventually she just had to go be with her sister you know and um, bless her little soul you know, I was able to, I'm really grateful I was able to be a part of everything now at this point, as I didn't get that with Nayara. And so I helped the nurse, 
you know, take off all the medical equipment and um, wipe her down. And I was able to put on her diaper and her clothes. And that's the first diaper I've ever put on a baby. Wow. And the first clothes. I was able to do that for her. And then I, I picked her up and popped her in a little carriage. And they let me sit with her while Imin had to, again, Imin off to do paperwork, bless him. Mm. He's never had a chance to just be. He's always had to go handle everything. And um, I was able to sit with her in the NICU. They just let me. They were, they were so, so good. I think because they got to know us so well over these two months they know that like we're very respectful of like their job and what they need to do we don't like get in the way you know we just so they let me sit with her in the NICU and I just like sung to her and kissed her and touched her and played music and then and then my friend arrived just in time and um and then I brought her to the, they call it a janaza, I forgot the word, the, the morgue basically. Um, we brought her to the morgue so we could leave, that, that's the way you leave with the, with a body. And um, that was a pretty intense place to be because yeah. there, was, um, there was a family who were there with like an adult body and they were all like crying really hard and I was like, oh my god, this energy is intense. This is yes. so crazy. Like, and I was like, we have to like create our own little energy bubble right now. Of just this is just us, my mum, my friend, me, and the Bella. Like, we just need to protect this space. And the lady at the NICU needed to take the carriage back to the NICU. So I asked them to like kangaroo care swaddle her to me. Oh, wow. So they like swaddled her around me, and I was just holding her. And we all just stood in like this little circle just like really holding the space of this energy between us three and then we um, then we took the ambulance to the mosque and then I was able to clean her body mm. which was really beautiful and I had I had pictures of like her hands in my hands and my mum had a beautiful picture with her and we all just had this moment that we were able to have that we missed out on having with Nayara. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then I slept next to her that whole night. And it was just such a blur, really. I think at a time like that, you really feel like your whole world is crashing around you. And I remember saying to my friends, like, I've got nothing left in life now. Like, that's it. And I know that's yeah. not truth, but in that time, that's what it feels like. Of course, you're grieving. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... How do you even begin to process that? <sighs> I don't know. And I honestly, I have this huge love and admiration, if that's even the right word, for mothers who experience loss because it to me I have not experienced that and it is obviously a fear that every mother would have you would just never wish that upon anybody so to then 
go through it. It's like you can't quite comprehend what's happening, but yeah. it's happening. Like it, I just see it being so hard. And I, I honestly, I don't know how people survive it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me that has kept me so like sane and strong throughout it all is just having a faith in a higher power. Mm. And I think I've always been able to look at this situation from like the higher perspective. I personally believe like before we come down to this earth, we make soul contracts and with each other, like, okay, you're going to be my husband in this lifetime. You're going to be my mom. You're going to be my kids. And we decide like how things are going to go and how we enter this world and how we leave this world. And I think that's what's kept me really, really understanding of everything. And it has kept my heart really peaceful is that I believe that's just what we all chose to experience together. And even though my baby girls had the shortest time on this earth, they gifted so much to so many people all around the world. They gifted the act of deep prayer and connection with something higher than themselves. You know, for many people who probably aren't always like praying or connecting with that kind of energy, we're praying for us. We're really and truly sending all their love from their heart. And I think my girls gifted people with, you know, that deep generosity mm. to be able to, you know, support us and our family going through this. And, and the wisdom that they've gifted to me and they've gifted me becoming a mum. I think forever will wonder what life could have been like with them here. I'm also so grateful for everything they've given and so grateful for the time I had with them. Mm. Feeling them in my womb every day, moving around, connecting with their energies, you know, for them choosing me and Imin. And for the two months I had with Nabella, even though at times it was very, very chaotic, you know, being in the NICU and all the experiences that that brings. I was able to hold her and be with her and see her. And yeah, I think I've always been able to look at like that side of it and not fall into like the deep why. I feel that though within my body, I do. Yeah. At times I just want to go to a mountain and just scream, why? Like just a primal scream, I feel it like within my body. But on another level as well, I understand why this was just what was written for us. This was the experience we all chose. And this was my initiation into motherhood. It was mm. just this way, you know? Yeah, wow. I honestly, I have no words, Nikki. Like, you have lived through more than most people I know in this life. <laughs> and I think grief can have such a profound impact on you physically emotionally but then also spiritually and you've mentioned that quite a lot um, throughout this chat who were you before this happened and who are you now where do you see this change wow I mean on so so many levels 
But what's interesting is having lost my babies, it's like me and Imin are back to where we were before I was pregnant. However, we are completely different human beings. Yeah. Like we are not the same. No. At all. <laughs> um, I mean, the biggest change is the fact that I am a mum. Yeah. And I always will be, even if they're not physically here. Wow, there's just so much. I think my whole outlook on life has become completely different. And I feel like my whole life purpose has just almost revealed itself to me. I feel like more wise, mm. more understanding. I think I see my relationships differently as well. I think seeing how quickly life can change before your eyes, how quickly life can be gone, it's given me such a huge perspective shift on how to live my life moving forward. Mm. And that's what my daughters have gifted me. You know, they've gifted me that basically like freedom freedom of thinking and being and living and to just love even harder to do the things that I feel called to do to not yeah. be afraid and to live like really live and also this experience has I think especially here I want to be able to provide families who are going through this with the love and support, especially in areas where we didn't always receive it through the the hospital system. Yeah. Um, my actual like physical people around me, we've had the most amazing, amazing support. I'm so grateful, and I want to be able to build that kind of community around others who are also going through that. And um. As I mentioned to you before, I'm now studying to become a birth and bereavement doula. Amazing. So other ladies who are going through miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss, they know that they have someone to call who can hold their hand and be there with them through that. Yeah. I honestly, I've been speechless this whole time because I'm just so in awe of people that can live through something like this and come out the other end saying words like you just said <laughs> like because I I feel that there would just be so much darkness and it would just be so heavy so to be able to move through that and come out I don't know if you ever come out the other end because I do think that this is something that stays with you but you sort of get to come out of that darkness and transform it into something like you're doing and I just think it's amazing and I think that and I hope that you acknowledge that within yourself because it is yeah like I said I don't have words it's just so incredible um but thank you so much for coming on and sharing this story I feel like that's a dumb word to even say <laughs> like it's not a story this is your life your experience um but thank you for sharing your experience and I really hope that for others who haven't lived through this are able to grow some compassion towards 
mothers, women, families that experience loss because, yeah, it is just so deeply profound and I'm in awe of you. I think you're just amazing. Thank you. And I think what you said about transforming the darkness, I think that's a really beautiful way to put it and something I hadn't really realised that's what it is. It is really transforming that pain into healing. Yeah. And of course there are days where it comes up. Like lately, I think since my I came on my period, I was feeling these emotions come up and I'm just allowing it. You know, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the real shitty, nitty-gritty feelings. And yeah. And if I need to, I'll go scream into a pillow. I'll journal. I'll write. I'll do whatever I need to do. But I'll feel it. I'll let it be. And, and I think, like you said, it will always be there in some ways. You know, you're never, ever going to forget these babies that no way. have graced your life. But every day it does get a little easier. It does. Mm. And... And there's so much support out there, there really is. Like I found it so helpful, like through Instagram accounts and different services that are out there and just hearing other people's story. And that's why I'm so grateful to be able to share this today. And and I think it's important to share their story just because they they lived, you know, they existed. Mm -hmm. And this is their birth story. This is my birth story. And it deserves to be told I feel yeah absolutely. even though it can be heartbreaking at times there's a lot of love and wisdom that's come out of it for me yeah and that's what I find so fascinating I you can find this in any experience or story really and I I am so deeply fascinated by how people move through these experiences because yeah, it's something we don't really talk about. So you sort of do move through it on your own. Yeah. You don't, it's something that you do on your own. So, yeah, I just, I have no words. I absolutely appreciate you for sharing your story here. And it's so powerful. And, yeah, it needs to be heard. And um, we need to keep the memory of Nayara and Nabella because they are so deserving. Thank you. Thank you so much for creating this space to be able to share. It feels very healing. And I think that's one thing that's really helped me throughout this whole experience is to talk about it. Yeah. Like from coming out the operation and going down to the room and my friends were there, from that moment I was like, this is what happened. And I've been able to speak about this so freely and openly from the beginning. And I think that's really aided in the healing journey also. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode. Thank you.